0: You, you have said that uh, the president finds the Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate, John Fetterman, to be impressive and a capable individual. After last night's debate, does he have any concerns about Fetterman? Not at all. Look, to do no harm, it's so unempathetic to the guy. It was really strange to me that he chose to bully a stroke. Victim. Yeah, right exactly. like he obviously was bullying him and I think it takes real courage to show that you've been knocked down I think it takes real bravery to allow people to see your weakness, <laughs> right? And um, We know that Fetterman's cognitive abilities have not been compromised. I think you got to give credit to Fetterman um for showing up, because it's a risky decision, it's a gutsy decision, knowing how debilitating the stroke was mm-hmm. against the backdrop of him saying that doctors have assured him that this is something that can be recovered from. For Fetterman to decide to step up and take this risk and display his, his, his current disability for all to see was a gutsy decision. I... Franklin Delano Roosevelt believed that it would be painful to watch him being lifted in and out of a car by Secret Service agents, so he never allowed cameras to capture that. Painful to watch quickly became an oft-repeated phrase on Twitter last night during the Pennsylvania Senate campaign debate because Democratic candidate John Fetterman suffered a stroke this spring and has not fully recovered 100% of his verbal fluency.
1: Does the president have any concerns about, has he ever
0: raised uh, either a conversation with you that you've been a part of or, or with others here at the White House, Um, Any concerns about his health? So, I'll say this. um, With in personal conversations that the President has had with the lieutenant governor, the President has found him to be impressive, an incredibly bright and talented person who's just as capable as always uh, to carry out uh, his office — the duties of his office, as we know, he is lieutenant governor currently. uh, And he respects the courage and the honesty uh, that he sees uh, from the lieutenant governor, that he's experienced, and and sees him as an authentic — uh, individual who is fighting every day for the middle class and finds him incredibly impressive.
1: So there's the rundown. That's how they uh, they reported on the disastrous debate for Fetterman on uh, Tuesday night. All the talking heads, the White House, they're just they're just impressed. They're just impressed, and he's he's really the he's the second coming of FDR, John Fetterman. You heard it here first. Actually, you heard it on Lawrence O'Donnell's show. Last night. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us today. You can get to the live video stream of this show through our website. That would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can see the live stream, or you can watch on demand if you need to, like so many, if you need to catch up on your TD viewing. So they will literally say anything it's all about their hold on power it's all about the stranglehold on power they've got to be in control and it doesn't matter what kind of political candidate it is as long as he votes the right way as long as he supports antiochus's agenda that's all that matters they'll say and do anything in order to ensure that that happens, Ted Cruz was on The View. We played a clip from that the other day. In the course of the conversation, the, he, he talked about the Antifa riots of 2020, how that it was going on all through the year. And these same talking heads were pretending that it wasn't happening. They'll, they'll say anything to carry on with their narrative, their agenda, so Ted Cruz makes those comments about the Antifa riots. And Newsweek rushed to the defense of the ladies at The View. They, they wanted to fact check the comments coming from Ted Cruz. This is, and this is, this is with a straight face they're writing this. I mean, this is, in so many ways, it's like comedy gold. The, the jokes just write themselves. Listen to those people at the top there. You can't take them serious. If, if anything, you just laugh. Because the audacity of these people to tell big, bold lies right in front of everyone's faces when everyone sees that it's a lie. Here's Newsweek commenting on Ted Cruz. The Antifa riots Cruz refers to are almost certainly the protests which followed George Floyd's death. Most of these occurred between late May and early June 2020. Although many buildings were damaged or destroyed by fire during protests, this did not carry on throughout the year. Uh, no, this didn't carry on throughout the year. It says while protests did continue in Portland, Oregon for nearly a year, according to media reports, these were not all characterized by arson. They they didn't all have arson. It didn't, it didn't happen for 12 full months. It really wasn't that bad at all. That's what Newsweek is implying here. Most other cities quieted down after uh, June 2020. Labeling the protests as Antifa riots is misleading, too, as there's no organization or group known as such. Okay, so thanks, Newsweek. Thanks for clearing that up. This is their fact-check department. Can't even refer to it as the Antifa riots. There was an article in Insights and Issues, or Issues and Insights, about how Democrats are promoting demented candidates in more ways than one. They give the definition, the dictionary definition of demented. Demented, it means mad or insane. Uh, The second definition, affected by or exhibiting cognitive dementia. That's from Merriam-Webster. It says here, Tuesday night's Pennsylvania Senate debate brings into sharp relief the fact that America is really, truly, genuinely, not kidding, experiencing a debate as to whether it is ageism or ableism to question the fitness for office of, number one, a soon-to-be octogenarian quasi-president who habitually walks off podiums reaching out to shake hands with the air and then wanders around confused, frequently interrupts himself mid-sentence when he lapses into incoherence, regularly utters policy statements laden with global import that must be immediately walked back by White House staff, and recently looked into the audience seeking a deceased politician whose passing he was there to commemorate. That's the president of the United States, the fake one at that. Then you've got a candidate for the United States Senate. The world's greatest deliberative body, says Issues issues and Insights. It says here, this year, this candidate suffered a debilitating stroke, yet refuses to release his medical records in rare public appearances, never fails to mangle multiple words, phrases, and thoughts, required a closed captioning device to comprehend a journalist's interview uh, questions, and who opened the debate with the um, unusual greeting of, hi, good night, everybody. It says here, uttered unintelligible responses throughout and bizarrely broke into one of his opponent's answers and his closing statement with complete non sequiturs. This happened just two nights ago, and the talking heads are comparing him to FDR. I mean, FDR was in a wheelchair, okay, but there was nothing wrong with his, his, his brain, his thoughts. I mean, he was a liberal, but, uh, but he, he spoke. They, Lawrence O'Donnell even compared it to Churchill. Churchill and FDR, if you can believe it. They'll say and do anything to carry out their agenda. Listen to, this is the truth of the matter. This is Fox's uh, Britt Hume on uh, that network yesterday, clip four. Well, I've been watching this and covering this stuff for more than a half a century, and I've never seen anything like uh, that performance by Fetterman last night. It was a complete and total uh, train wreck, and it was, it was painful to watch, as we discussed with you on the program yesterday. This, this article, coming back to issues and insights, it talks about the demented candidates that Barack Obama and the others get right behind. And then then in the same article, it talks about the demented Democrat policies. Tucker alluded to this on his show last night as well. Listen to this, clip three. So once Fetterman got on stage and there was really kind of no lying about it, he humiliated himself, the usual chorus piped up, not to admit that they were wrong, but to say, yeah, he's demented, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's totally incapable of thinking or speaking. Why? Because abortion. Abortion is more important than anything. Because it's not a child sacrifice cult at all. No, it's not. Don't worry. See, we got to be able to kill the babies. Or when you look at this transgender movement, we got to be able to mutilate children. These are their policies. And as long as, as long as you can get the vote in the Senate that supports these policies, nothing else matters. Issues and Insights. It says some measure of this mass political and social hysteria can be attributed to the warped imaginations of truly disturbed people but most of it cannot. It says rather it represents intentional efforts by fully rational people in the vein of 1984's Room 101. Disorient, unnerve, and unsettle an entire populace. That's what they're aiming to do. These people to separate citizens from the social moorings, moral and ethical standards, and even basic laws of economics that have governed their lives, and thereby to sap their self-esteem and self-reliance and increase their subservience to the ruling class. That's from this article from Issues and Insights. It made me think of the 1956 quote from Herbert Armstrong. You can find it in this brochure here, this booklet. He was write the article in there the chapter in there the communist infiltration of america was prophesied mr armstrong wrote this in 1956 he said it's a kind of he it's a kind of a warfare that we don't understand or know how to cope with it uses every diabolical means to weaken us from within sapping our strength sapping our strength It's the same word that uh, Issues and Insights used. Perverting our morals, sabotaging our educational system, wrecking our social structure, destroying our spiritual and religious life, weakening our industrial and economic power, demoralizing our armed forces, and finally, after such infiltration, overthrowing our government by force and violence. He says, and all this, cleverly disguised, as a harmless political party. Well, we're just the Democrat Party. He says here, communism communism is worldwide psychological warfare. So do say anything. Anything goes as long as we can hold on to power. So expect them all to line up. They're already lining up to support Fetterman, to cheat in Pennsylvania. Barack Obama's making plans to, to go. There's this, this story from The Hill. It says here, Democrats are, are betting that President Biden and Vice President Harris can put Democratic Senate hopeful John Fetterman over the top, despite a faltering debate performance that has operatives worried. It says, Biden and Harris will head to Philadelphia to campaign together on Friday. I guess Fetterman's going to be there. What a trio, by the way. You talk about God removing eloquent oration. Biden, Harris, and Fetterman. You've you got to send Pelosi, too, just to round it out. Maybe she can head up the security detail to punch out the MAGA Republicans. This is Isaiah 3 being fulfilled. An attack, too, an attack on the United States of America. You know all about that from AUA, our most popular book. Call our operators today, 1-866-930-3024. The Antiochus, I mean, there is some eloquence there. He can read the prompter uh, pretty good. Here's, here's Reuters. It says, less than two weeks before the U.S. midterm elections, with Democrats on verge of losing their razor-thin majority in Congress, The party is asking former President Barack Obama to perform some late-game heroics or at least help limit their losses. It says Obama, who left office in 2017 after serving two terms, travels to Georgia on Friday, and then he moves to Wisconsin. Nevada, all these are swing states. These are all the states they cheated in in 2020, and they're trying to do it again. I'll come to that in just a second. It says here, with Biden's approval among voters hovering at 39 percent, according to the latest Reuters poll, it's the former president who is assuming the role as the party's closer in the final days. It's so obvious what's going on here. We've been talking about it for months. We've been talking about it for, for almost two years. This is Obama's third term. That's what you're reading here. If you just read between the lines, we can't send Biden out. I guess Biden at least is going to Philadelphia with Harris. You've got, you've got the trio there. But then Obama's the one who's working behind the scenes. Now he's coming out. He's making his appearances. They've got to try to hold on to that razor-thin margin that they have in Congress. This, that's, that's why this race is getting quite a lot of national attention, this uh, Senate race between Fetterman and Oz, because it's a 50-50 split right now in the Senate. Says here, he's probably, this is that Reuters piece. Obama's probably a better ambassador for swing state Democrats than Biden is. Says here, since he's more popular, especially in the competitive states and less tied to the current issues on voters' minds. See, Biden's the fall guy, he's tied to the issues. It's Biden's economic policies, it's Biden's border security, it's Biden's everything except that it's not. It's Obama. Obama's destroying the country, and he's still maintaining uh, popularity among the Democrats. They still look to him as sort of the, he's the kingmaker. So he's going to be out there. This is a, a representative from South Carolina, by the way. Listen, to the, you're hearing more and more of this, even among commentators, and when we hear them, we play them on this program because this is what we've been, we've been saying this from the beginning of this illegitimate presidency. His name is Ralph Norman. He's a representative from South Carolina. Listen to this, clip one.
0: The whole administration is a rogue administration. And I I guess we all know Joe Biden is not running this country. There is a cabal of unelected elitists who are running this country. Probably Barack Obama uh, is involved. Probably uh, Eric Holder. But who knows? We know it's not Biden.
1: A cabal of unelected leaders. It's a communist infiltration that's turned into a full-scale insurrection. And Obama is the king. Obama is the president. Obama's heading it all up. So they've got everything in motion as far as the campaigning goes. And then, of course, they've got their operatives, their deep, deep state operatives, in these dark blue districts, working furiously now, to try to harvest as many ballots as they can, as many fake ballots as possible. It's going to be harder this time. But the system, the machines in some of these big cities, yesterday you may have seen the report on the 240,000 unverified ballots that have been mailed out all across Pennsylvania. Actually, I shouldn't say all across. It's mostly in and around Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia, the big cities, the blue districts, two hundred and forty thousand uh, ballots not yet verified. It's a little confusing when you get into the weeds here with this story. But basically, the the Pennsylvania Department of uh, what is it? The the DOS, the Department of uh, State, issues guidance on uh, on uh, this verification process. It says this: before sending the ballot to the applicant. The county board of uh, elections confirms the qualifications of the applicant by verifying the proof of identification. It kind of gives the impression that they've already been verified. Basically, if you send out ballots to addresses and they haven't been verified, when they come back in, you cannot count them until they're verified. This is Pennsylvania state law. This is the law of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But the Department of State is sending out these notices as if that, well, they are kind of verified. And so basically what they're hoping is that according to the lower uh, officials in these cities, these blue districts, they'll just go ahead and count them. That's what's being set up here. And you've got, of course, these, these politicians in, uh, in the Pennsylvania Senate and the Pennsylvania House that are crying foul, saying, look, they're, they're trying to get away with it again. They're trying to steal the election again, and a lot, as I say, a lot is riding on this. Let me give you Zero Hedges' um, summary of this. Maybe you'll be able to understand it just a little bit better. It says, here we go again. Just one day after 15 Pennsylvania House Republicans sent a letter to acting Secretary of State Lee Chapman demanding to know why 240,000 unverified ballots had been mailed out, which according to the law, it says in parentheses, must be set aside and not counted for the 2022 general election unless the voter produces ID. So, of course, the Democrats are going to view these kinds of stories and things as if, if you don't let us cheat, then what you're doing is preventing ballots from being counted. They've got to be able to cheat in order to win. We saw that from 2020. Zero Hedge says, it's really important for us to get accurate information about the election process in Pennsylvania, Chapman said, during a, a virtual conference where she said it would likely take several days to count and certify the votes. So here we go again. We're coming into election month. Election month. It's no longer happening on the day of. It says here, so votes in public uh, know that when there are delays in the counting, it doesn't mean that there's anything nefarious happening. Oh, no. No, everything's legit, Uh, just like Chris Krebs says. It's perfect. He's he's out on CBS again. He's making the rounds again, talking about how perfect everything was in 2020. Every country in the world knows that when there's mass ballots going out, when there's mail-in ballots all over the place, it opens the way to massive amounts of fraud. That's why a lot of countries don't do it. But the United States, we, we did it wholesale in 2020, and that's the one election, that's the one election that these radicals all say in unison it was just perfect. No cheating whatsoever. They're trying to line things up in Pennsylvania as we speak in order to get Fetterman over the edge, over the finish line, and uh, the, the governor as well. They don't want Mastriano in there, they don't want anybody that Donald Trump supports in there. They've got to crush that movement. They've got to destroy Donald Trump. That's the goal, that's the aim, because he represents a threat to them. This was from uh, Just the News about nefarious activity going on in Florida with respect to elections. It says here, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' new election crimes unit has recommended state police open a full criminal investigation into Democrat whistleblower's detail, a Democrat whistleblower's detailed complaint of a long-running, widespread ballot-harvesting operation in the African-American communities in politically important Central Florida, In these dark blue districts, even in red states, cheating that's gone on for years, for years. There was a story just at Citizen Free Press, I think I pulled it up here, about cheating in uh, Harris County down around Houston. It says here, uh, inspectors from the Texas Secretary of State and Attorney General's election integrity team have been sent to Harris County to observe and monitor voting procedures. Inspectors were sent after numerous voting irregularities were reported after the 2020 election and the 2022 March primary election. Numerous reports. You've got a Democrat whistleblower. You had all of those affidavits, stacks of them. Rudy Giuliani, the end of 2020, and they just they just wouldn't examine the evidence. So many of the talking heads, even courts, refused to look into it. Here are, here are real stories being reported, cheating happening at the local level. In this case, Central Florida, this whistleblower, and she's a Democrat. She says it's been going on for years. So DeSantis is having his team look into it, look into it. In in, in South Texas, they're looking into it. So she described an intricate system funded by liberal leaning organizations that dispatch ballot brokers into black communities to pressure voters to turn over their ballots. The $10 fee per ballot is divvied up among the parties who help complete the harvesting. The collection and delivery of ballots by third parties is illegal in Florida. They can't, they can't win at the ballot box, so they have to try to do it illegally. And if you cry and protest, then you're trying to stop the vote. Then you're trying to cheat. I mean, all of this just, it corroborates what Dinesh D'Souza exposed back in April with his movie 2,000 Mules. Sam was telling me about listening to NPR. I don't usually do that, but evidently he does. Don't hold it against him but he listens to NPR anytime there's a a vote-stealing or harvesting scheme or story that's out there. The the NPR has all of the talking points, right? Okay, he's an election denier. There's no evidence that there was any kind of cheating in 2020. They go through all of those same tired arguments. They all say the same thing. And they're all just really sensitive, too, when someone who's out there who is an election denier, as they call it, is actually, uh, you know, has a pretty visible platform and uh, is, is reaching a pretty big audience with that message. They get, they get very defensive. They say there's no evidence, even though the, the woman exposed in that 2,000 Mules movie, the woman from, woman from Yuma, Arizona, she was out there, again, harvesting ballots, and she was prosecuted and, and is in jail, or I don't know how, how much jail time she spent. But there, are, there is evidence. It, you just look down on the local level, South Texas, Central Florida, what happened in Yuma, Arizona. Put it together with all the video footage. And yet, as I say, these communists, these talking heads, these propagandists, they're there with the same refrain. The same one. They won't talk about cheating unless they lose in two weeks. Then they'll, they'll talk all about cheating, as we've covered on this program. In fact, they're already talking about it. Democrats, they're already talking about cheating that the Republicans are going to get away with in two weeks because they're looking at polls that don't look too favorable at the moment. Speaking of cheating, this was uh, the Dominion. Here again, you've got Krebs. He's on 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes recently had the Dominion CEO. Listen to what he said to Anderson Cooper, clip six. People
0: have been put into danger. Their families have been put into danger. Their lives have been upended and all because of lies. It was a very clear calculation that they knew there were lies and they were repeating them and endorsing them. It's important to you people admit what they said was wrong. It's important to me, it's important to all the people whose families have been impacted by this. Anderson, my kids still are not allowed to get any package from the front door uh, until we verify
1: that it's actually from from a trusted sender. You're that concerned about somebody sending something to your house? It's not unfounded concern. So Dominion's the victim. You know, the the people that make the machines, they're the victims, and it's important for anyone Anyone that calls into question the results of the 2020 election, it's important that they are that they admit that they're lying, that they've been out there promoting the big lie. See, this is why they can't res- they can't help themselves. They sit down with Kerry Lake, they start talking about a couple of topics, and then right away they're over to you're an election denier. You've got to admit that you're lying. They're that sensitive. They, they've been exposed in so many ways. They really have. And like I said at the top, I mean, it's just astounding to me that the lies, they just get bigger and bolder. This is from uh, Newsweek. As again, there's, there are more and more out there, I think, preparing for what they see as inevitable. They see all of these attacks on Donald Trump. They want him, they want him to go away. They want him in prison but they also know that he's the most popular politician in the country. This is Newsweek saying you ain't you ain't seen nothing yet. The cover article, it's titled Sweet Revenge: What Trump would do in a second term. So there are some that that believe this is quite possible. I mean, they're not they're not stu- they're liars, but they're not stupid. They can see polls, they can see crowd sizes, they can see Trump rallies says here at Newsweek the specifics of Trump's uh, of Trump 47's policies to the extent that Trump bothers with policies are a matter of speculation but some broader actions seem certain according to current and former Trump insiders interviewed by Newsweek avoiding his first term approach of appointing people who might protect him from his worst instincts and instead packing the administration with loyalists they're, they're even more terrified now because there at least there were a few you know disloyal agents to kind of keep him in check in the the first term in the first presidency but now i mean he's he's looking at all these people stabbing him in the back and he might get in there and actually put in people who are loyal to him can you believe this it says here trying to get a firmer grip on the military with an eye to consolidating power, drastically shrinking the civil service and throwing a steady diet of red meat culture war goodies at his base. (laughs) They're trying to just make him sound, again, like uh, the most evil human being in history. He's going to come in there, he's going to get revenge, and this is terrifying. This is why you need to be scared. Newsweek says here the FBI, Internal Revenue Service, and the military could be, could be harnessed to harass or imprison his political enemies. <laughs> Can you believe this? What they're describing here is exactly how it's being used today by Obama. The FBI, the IRS, and the military being used to imprison or harass political enemies says here, Foreign policy would be turned on its head as Trump resumes his antagonism toward allies in Europe and, and renews his friendship with Vladimir Putin and basic democratic norms such as the constitutional prohibition of a third presidential term could give way we're living through the third term of Obama at the moment. And this is the kind of drivel that you get coming out from Newsweek. This, this and the fact check on Antifa riots. And now, just so that you know, those really weren't that serious. And they didn't go on through December. Maybe in Portland a little bit, but you know, when the Portland riots were going on through December, not every building was burning down. Just a few. Just a few federal buildings were torched or destroyed or, or, or vandaliz- vandalized. It's amazing, isn't it? It says, once the immediate threat, this is Newsweek, once the immediate threat of legal action is gone, Trump would be free to focus on filling the executive branch with supporters from the 15 cabinet heads on down. One let Imagine a president putting his supporters in his cabinet. Uh, y- have you ever heard of something like this happening? Well, just 45 other times. It says here, he'll try to hollow out the executive branch so he can put in people who pass some sort of loyalty test quoting some expert. It says further on, the people in Trump's orbit at the end of his first term were all singularly unqualified for the job, this expert says, but now they'd come back with a better understanding of how to get things done. It's all so terrifying to the editors at Newsweek. One final quote here. It says, as acting officials, Trump's appointees will be able to carry out a deep purge of government. His acting cabinet officials would install loyalists in the top level of the civil service who would, uh, in turn, appoint other loyalists under that. Man, so much detail here about what Trump w- mo- would do or, or, from their perspective, what he might do if he comes back to power. I mean, the war, you see it. It's all As I've said earlier this week, it's Antiochus and it's Jeroboam. The the line has been drawn in the middle. One last well, I don't know if I have time. I can maybe cover. Well, I'll just get through this quickly. The Daily Mail says here Pfizer has been accused of daylight robbery after it emerged the company plans to sell its COVID shot with an estimated ten thousand percent markup in the U.S. next year, despite enjoying extraordinary surges in profits during the the pandemic a tenth is that even possible? They're about the price for the vaccine, and, and keep in mind the Joe Bama people, the big party they had on Tuesday over his fifth booster, the fake presidents, and, and now the cost for these vaccines, it's about to skyrocket. Pfizer is just making a killing. It says here the US government has been paying around twenty dollars per dose up to this point and then distributing the shots for free to the public. So it's, on, it's all on Uncle Sam, or, or in other words, a taxpayer. Analysts speculate that the move was made so Pfizer could still meet its target of $32 billion of projected vaccine revenue this year. But be assured that this is about your health. We re- Pfizer, they really want to protect ordinary citizens of the United States or across the world, people in general, they're just trying to save lives and also meet their projections. $32 billion. Unbelievable. You're listening to Stephen Flurry and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll take a short break and then come back and conclude with our Bible study for today. We'll be right back. This
0: is KPCG-FM, and this is the Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime. Violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of mystery of the ages we were born into this 20th century world as it is we take it for granted but we can't explain it it's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end we see what is occurring at that point but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing we simply cannot understand what we are seeing Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily.
1: Yesterday here on the college campus, Joel Hilliker gave a a lecture and assembly on the importance of godly conversation how to bring more of God into your conversation with uh, one another. And we, as God's people, certainly do need that. Uh, I've been going through 1 Corinthians and the epistles of Paul class, and it's interesting to see in Paul's case how he does make effective uh, use of uh, sarcasm and, and a little cynicism at times, uh, or, or humor, I guess I should say. He does make use of that occasionally. He's pretty strategic with it. But you also read through his writings, and he talks quite a lot about just enriching our lives with fine speech. You can find plenty of Proverbs that speak to that as well. The fact that we need to be uplifted by good conversation and and how we need to uplift and encourage others with our speech. This is from uh, 1 Corinthians 1. As you probably know, 1 Corinthians is a very corrective book. It's the most corrective letter that Paul wrote because this was a a church area that just had a lot of problems. There was division and strife in the congregation. There was uh, incest going on in their midst, and Paul had to come in and say, you know, get it out so that we can preserve the unity. I brought this up earlier in the week. But it says here at the start of the letter, verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. It was a very corrective letter, but Paul prefaces it by saying, I'm thankful to God on your behalf. I really do appreciate you, brethren. I'm glad you're in the family. I want to help you. I want to support you. I want to encourage you. Verse 5 says that in everything... You are enriched by Him. This is what Paul would pray to God for, that the brethren would be enriched by God in all utterance and in all knowledge. The Greek word for utterance is logos. That's actually one of Jesus Christ's names. The Word. Jesus was the Word. He is the Word. Logos. Speech. It's important. There's a verse in Matthew 12, verse 34, it says, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart. Whatever's dwelling there in our hearts or minds, that's what we're eventually going to speak. That's why we need to set our minds on godly things. Now, you study through the Bible, obviously, you see, you see God really, really talking about some pretty harsh correction coming upon our nations, our people. That's, again, this is as a last resort because we just won't turn to him in repentance. Paul, I mean, you could tell Paul was pretty righteously indignant in 1 Corinthians 5 when he addressed that problem in the congregation. You look at Jesus when he went into the temple and knocked over tables to get the money changers and all of these people carrying on their normal business, I guess, inside God's house. Jesus said, get out. Keep, this, keep the house of God pure. So there's certainly room for that in our dialogues. Certainly anyone that works with children knows that you have to uphold law and order or else chaos ensues. You're not going to have a very peaceful environment for very long if you don't have some family government in the home. We need that. But we also need to think about just seasoning our speech with God's words. This is why Bible study is is so important. Enrich your speech with more of His holiness, with more of His character, with more of his purity, with more of his thoughts. This is from my father's book on the epistle of James. You can get to that booklet on our website, the, the James booklet, or you can call our operators, the 800 number, one I don't think I have the James booklet up here. In any event, it says this, Why is it so important that we learn to tame our tongues because we're preparing to teach every person who has ever lived. We need the mind of Christ to direct everything we say. It says, Jesus Christ continually spoke uplifting words while he was here on earth. Just uplifting words. It's noticeable. If you're trying to enrich your life with this, I I think it was in this autobi or this yeah it's this autobiography by Benjamin Netanyahu he was talking about his father how that uh, he was a, an academic and it seemed like his his mom was maybe more influential on their their upbringing uh, he, they were three brothers one of them died at the Entebbe raid back in 1976 but leave that aside just just when he mentions his dad you can tell he has love and respect for his father and his father's legacy but he made one statement in there that he had never heard a curse word come out of his father's mouth as long as he knew him i mean and that impacted that impacted It it does to this day that's just a little tiny example but what about in god's church where you're avoiding that kind of profane verbiage And also just filling your hearts and your conversations with holiness. This is from the same booklet. Each of us must learn to exercise wisdom in this area. We must learn to say things that will encourage people and lift them up. It says when we fail to do that, we can easily beat people down. He says finally, a parent can change the nature of of creation. In his own family, or alter the whole direction of a child's life just by the words he speaks to that child. It's so important. Communication. I mean, in in many ways, we've made this point within the college sphere, just in in training these young people, telling them that really what you're, you're here to do is to learn how to communicate God's message. This is what the world needs, they need God's truth. In a world filled with lies and deception, it needs the truth of God. And it needs God's family out there communicating it clearly the way that God and Jesus Christ do. It says in James 1, this is verse 26, If any man among you seem to be righteous and bridles not his tongue but deceives his own heart, it says this man's religion is vain. His religion's vain. If he doesn't control his tongue, if he doesn't bridle that tongue, my father says here, well, I can skip over that quote. Let me just move forward to James chapter 3. He has a lot to say in this this third chapter, and this is why my father addresses it as he does in the booklet. But James 3 and verse 2 says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and and able also to bridle the whole body. It says here, Behold, we put bits on the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about uh, their whole body. It says, Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor lists. It says, Even so, verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. I mean, you can do a tremendous amount of damage with speech. You can do a lot of good with godly speech as well. We need a lot more of that in this world. The, as I said in the first segment, I mean, when the prophecy speaks of eloquent orators... God taking them away. You see how that this world, you see how that our nations are in desperate need of this. Good speech, eloquence. It's right there in Isaiah 3. It's a prophecy that God would take it away. Verse 6, this is staying in James 3. It says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell, it says. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Boy, you talk about an accurate prophecy. What about this one? There's just so much deadly poison all around. And certainly, as you know from listening to the first segment of this show, not just today, I guess every day, a lot of that poison is exposed, so much of it. It needs to be exposed. Verse 9, let me read this from the Moffat translation. It says, With the tongue we bless the Lord and Father, and with the tongue we curse men made in God's own likeness. Blessing and cursing stream out from, from the same lips. My brothers, this ought not to be. It shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't have a double tongue, so to speak. It shouldn't be that way at all. Verse 11, it says, Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh "...who is a wise man, and endued with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom." Or, his works with meekness of wisdom. This is what we want flowing out from our tongue, from our speech. The James booklet says here, "...we are ambassadors for Christ, we speak for Him. Do you talk like God? Do you talk like the Bible?" is your speech grounded in God's word? God demands that we speak the truth. He demands it. He expects it. He encourages it. it. Says this world is about to be filled with tongues that speak like God. Any other language will be destroyed with the people who speak it. Imagine that time. We've just envisioned it at the Feast of Tabernacles and the Last Great Day, but imagine when this earth is filled with godly speech whether you log on to the internet or turn on the nightly news or listen to the radio to to hear or to view godly speech everywhere that you turn what a world that will be this is from a good news article back in in uh, 1962 it says The very reason you should want to be with brethren instead of the world is that you can discuss the Bible and spiritual topics. If you cannot talk about the Bible with each other, then you are no different from the world. It's just very easy to let down in this area. And and we talk about subjects such as this, such as the one that the students heard yesterday in the assembly. We talk about it often because it's so easy to just get caught up in trivial matters Trivial discussions, or, or maybe worse. Worldly things, worldly subjects, worldly humor. It says, the one thing that makes the people around you worldly is that they have nothing else to talk about except material things and other people. The one thing that ought to make your conversation different from the world is that you can talk about God and His Word Now, this isn't saying that there's no place for uh, a talk that maybe is about sports or some kind of entertainment. But even there, we're aiming for godly entertainment, to to raise the standard to God's level. But what, what makes us unique in this world, God's people, God's family, the bride of Christ, is that when we speak to one another or as an organization, when we speak to the world, we speak God's words. We speak the words of the Bible. We talk about the way of a Christian, a true Christian, a follower of Christ. It says here, the society around us became worldly when it refused to retain God in its knowledge. You can read about that in, in Romans 1. Here again, this is the language of the Bible. We, if we don't retain God in our knowledge then God, as Romans 1 says, he just gives us over to a worthless mind with worthless reasoning. It says here, the world today has its mind on the things of this world, this present age and time, this world's inventions and gadgets, its philosophies and speculations. How many people of this world really talk about God and the Bible and understand the plan of God? Look at the way this world operates, that Pfizer story I gave you before the break. I mean, it just all comes down to the bottom line, the the get way of life, materialism, money. This consumes people's reasonings and and, and conversations. This is their whole goal in life. This world and the things of this world is all that they think on. It's all that they talk about. It says here, Are some of us becoming so material-minded, so worldly, that we no longer find the Bible interesting, inspiring, the one book we most enjoy reading and talking about. I mean, this is the one book we love, we most enjoy. This is the one book we study more than any other. And if that fills our minds, it's going to show itself in conversation and fellowship for sure. It says, If you cannot talk about the Bible with brethren during weekly social occasions, Then you'd better stay at home, pray, and read the Bible by yourself. God's people, it says about God's people in Malachi 3 and verse 16 that they speak often one to another. They remember what they were taught, and they talk a lot about it. It comes out in their conversation says here, the time to visit brethren as a social occasion is during the week or after the Sabbath. But being sociable does not mean being like the world. We are to come out of the world. So it's emphasizing even the, the difference between, you know, social interactions during the week and what we talk about on God's Sabbath. I mean, there we have to elevate the speech even more because it's holy time. God God made it holy. And the command, the fourth command says, keep it that way. Keep it holy. You've got six days to work. Okay, we need to provide for our families. We need a source of income. We don't want to be grossly materialistic like so many in this world. But six days, there's a command there in that fourth commandment to work. It is important. But then on the seventh day, God said, rest, keep it holy, keep it pure. We have a part in doing that, an important part. Isaiah 58, I'll just read this quickly. It says in verse 13, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing uh, your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the eternal, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words on the Sabbath. Don't even speak your own words. Fill your mind with the Bible. It says, Then shall you delight yourself in the eternal, and I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the eternal has spoken it. God has spoken this. We'll be blessed. We'll be blessed if we enrich our conversation and fellowship with these precious words of the Bible. I'll try to carry on with more on this subject uh, on tomorrow's program. You're listening to Stephen Flurry and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us at tdathtrumpet.com. We thank you for joining, joining us on today's show and we'll see you tomorrow.